are continuing a series that we began last week called Beautiful Feet. Uh, The idea for this series comes from a passage of scripture found in Romans. It was referenced in that video just a moment ago. And Paul uh, gives the simple message of the gospel. Um, he, He reminds us how simple it is, which many times in church doing what we do, sometimes we can make the gospel more complicated than it is. But Paul reminds us that it is simple as Uh, as confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And that's it. He said, that's the whole message of the gospel. There are no religious hoops to jump through. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about how often you're in church or your religious practices. It really is a matter of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. But then he takes it a step further and he says, but as simple as this message is, people have to hear it to know it. The only way that they can know the simple message is somebody tells them. And the only way somebody can tell them is if somebody gets up on their feet and goes and tells them. And then he says, so beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we're looking every week at a characteristic of beautiful feet. And last week we started with the very basic idea that beautiful feet follow Jesus. And we looked at the story of how Jesus called his disciples. And when he said, come follow me, he didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you really religious. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you really smart. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you righteous. He could have said any of those. Instead, he said something bizarre. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. In other words, Followers of Jesus are fishers of men. The first thing he said was that if you follow me, I am going to make you someone who has the influence and the potential to affect people, to change them. Not because your message is so good, but because I'm giving you a message. I'm giving you a teaching that can transform and change lives. So we just said that followers of Jesus are fishers of men. And so this week, I want to look at another aspect of of beautiful feet. And here's what it is. Beautiful feet overcome obstacles and take the gospel to where it is needed. Beautiful feet overcome obstacles and take the gospel to where it is needed. Now, in order to, to get an idea of where this characteristic comes from, let's look at what Paul said, because it, it's not at first obvious that it's in there, but I want to point it out to you. So let's look at Romans chapter 10, and then we're going to look at a, at a story from the gospels that I think illustrates this principle beautifully. So Romans chapter 10, verse 13 Here's here's what our theme verse for this series is. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, which means what? What does it mean when Paul says, as it is written? It means that it's written somewhere. It means that this is not a new idea that Paul is giving, but he's quoting something. And here's what he quotes. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, it's important to understand that Paul was a scholar. He was a Hebrew scholar. He he had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He probably had the entire book of Psalms memorized. And, And so Paul, when he writes, often quotes 
uh, Old Testament passages. When he says in there, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's actually quoting the prophet Joel from chapter 2, verse 32. And when he says, how beautiful are the feet, he's quoting a passage in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. But he changes it. He leaves something out. And here's what you need to know about this, the teaching, the way that Hebrew scholars taught, uh, Hebrew rabbis taught each other. They would often quote the scripture and they would change or leave something out of a verse that they were quoting on purpose. And they didn't leave it out to diminish the importance of it. Actually, they would leave something out to heighten the importance of it because they knew that if their students were listening and paying attention, they would say, huh, The rabbi left something out. It must be important. Let's go back and find exactly what it says. Paul does that in this passage. He leaves something out. So I want us to look uh, just briefly at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, because this is where Paul gets the quote about beautiful feet, and he leaves something out, and I want us to focus on what he left out when he quoted it. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, here's a a quiz because I know it's an hour earlier to make sure you're awake. What did Paul leave out of the quote? It's in blue on the screen if that helps. Yes. On the mountain. Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All his, all his Jewish students, everybody around him who knew the Old Testament, who knew the, the scroll of Isaiah, would have heard him say that and said, hmm, Paul left something out. He left out the part about the mountains. There's something significant about this. And when you look through the Bible at mountains, it's fascinating how often God chose to meet with his people on mountains. Just, I just thought of a few. Uh, Noah's, Noah's ark landed on Mount Ararat, and God met with Noah on the top of Mount Ararat. When, when Abraham was taking Isaac up to make a sacrifice, and God provided the ram in Isaac's place, that was on Mount Moriah. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, it was on Mount Sinai. You go into the New Testament, and, and Jesus takes three of the disciples up on the mountain, and he's transfigured. Remember that story? He's transfigured in front of them. It it happened on a mountain. When Jesus taught the sermon on the mount, uh, he, he he went up on the mountainside and he taught the disciples. So often in the Bible we find that God meets his people on the mountain, but that's not the easiest place to find God, is it? Why? Because mountains are rugged, dangerous, and even deadly places. Mountains pose a problem for us because it's not so easy to get to the mountaintop. And yet, over and over again throughout the Bible, we find that's where God's waiting. God's on the mountaintop. And, and we, we, as his followers, sometimes have to overcome obstacles and walk a different, difficult path to find him there. But he always seems to show up on the mountains and he reveals himself and he provides. And so Paul, when he's quoting Isaiah 52, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I believe he wants us to understand that taking the gospel to places is not always going to be easy. There are obstacles that have to be overcome. There are challenges that we will face. Let's face it, if it were easy to share your faith, you would all be doing it. Is that right? I mean, if it were easy for you to talk to people about salvation through Jesus Christ, you would all go out of here today and you'd share your faith, you'd share your faith story with somebody at lunch. 
but it's not easy. It's difficult. There are mountains and obstacles in our way, and beautiful feet overcome obstacles to take the gospel to where it is needed. And as I thought about this principle, uh, there was one story that just came to my mind, and it's such a beautiful story, and it's found in, in Mark chapter 2. It's a very familiar story, but it's about four men that the Bible doesn't even record their names. We don't even know who they are, but they, they had such tremendous faith. They were willing to overcome such enormous obstacles for somebody that they cared about in order for this person to meet Jesus. So I want us to look at it together. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And, and out of this story, I want us to see three obstacles that we all face in sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. I want us to see a three-part solution uh, to those obstacles, and I want us to see the result when we do overcome the obstacles. So let's look at uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here's what the gospel of Mark says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. This is an amazing story. I love this story. And the main character in the story is not the paralytic man. He never says a word, does he? We don't know the paralyzed man's opinion of anything that happened or went on. We don't even really know if the paralyzed man even wanted to go see Jesus. We just know that he had four friends who knew that this guy had a problem, and they knew that Jesus had the solution, so they picked up his mat and they carried him all the way to Jesus, and then when they got there, they met some obstacles. And, and I'm convinced of this, that you and I will always face obstacles when we are trying to tell someone the gospel, when we're trying to share with them the, the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. We will always face obstacles. Here are three that I think this story shows us. The, the, first, one, uh, the first one is a physical barrier. They, they had a physical barrier to overcome. How can I get my friend to Jesus? Look what it says in verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of, first of all, the crowd, they made an opening in the roof, so the roof was between them. They had physical obstacle above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, 
to understand this a little better, we have to know a little bit, a bit about the homes in Palestine in this day. Uh, they didn't have foundations like we would know, so the walls couldn't support the, the weight of a roof uh, like we would think of a roof today. So instead, they just would simply take beams and lay them across the top of the walls, and then they would build a thatched roof over these beams, and every year they would have to put more mud and put more thatch and straw up on the roof uh, because with time and weather and elements, the, the roof would begin to, to decay. So, so many of these houses would have ladders leaning against the side of the house or even a stairway built up to the roof because the roof was also a place that they used uh, to dry out clothes, uh, to dry out crops, uh, and, and it, was a, it was a common part of the house that was used almost on a daily basis. So when these guys get to uh, the house where Jesus is staying, the crowd has already gathered around, and they can't get their friend to Jesus, so they carry this paralyzed man to the roof. Now think about how hard that by itself would have been. But they get to the roof, and then they begin to dig through the roof and find a way to lower this paralyzed man to the feet of Jesus. See, it wasn't good enough for them to get their friend close enough just to hear Jesus. They wanted him to interact with Jesus. Sharing the gospel is not simply saying, hey, come to church with me. Now, don't get me wrong, because I'm going to tell you in a minute that I think one of the ways that we can share our faith is simply by investing and inviting people to come to church with us. That's a good way. But you do understand that by getting your friend just to walk in this building may or may not ever change them. The only thing that really changes us is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that may or may not happen just because we attend church. See, these four guys understood. It's not good enough just to get this paralyzed man close enough to hear the words of Jesus. We want to get him close enough that Jesus can touch him. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to think, okay, who do I know? Who is in my circle of influence that's hurting, that's far away? I know they need a touch from the Savior And you realize, I am going to do all I can and overcome the obstacles, even the physical barriers, to get my friend to Jesus. Let me give you some some, uh, suggestions for overcoming physical barriers. Because I understand the place you work, the place you live, it may or may not always be be practical or realistic to to share your faith. But let me just share two two ideas with you that I think are helpful. The the first one is, is an invitational approach. The invitational approach. This is where we talk about at Southside, you'll hear us use the phrase invest and invite. Invest and invite. What does that mean? That simply means that wherever God has planted you, invest in the relationships of the people closest to you. Invest in them. Begin to understand and hear their story. Know their struggles. Listen to them. So many times Christians are more interested in getting someone else to listen to us that we forget about listening to them. There is no way, there is no more powerful tool that we have than to listen to the story of someone else, to hear their hurts, to hear their struggles. And the more that you listen, the more right you will have to speak. And so as you invest in that relationship, then you look for opportunities to invite them. Invite them to an event. You know, this time of year, you realize you have a great opportunity. Twice a year, pagans expect to be invited to church. Do you know when the first one is? Easter. Right. I mean, you know, it's it's like they they all gear up and they say, okay, I'm not a Christian, but I'm going to expect a Christian to invite me to church. So many times they don't ever get invited because we're not 
investing in them. We're not inviting. And, and, and the other one is, is Christmas. People, people expect to come to church on Christmas and Easter. We've got a great opportunity. The people that you are investing in, simply invite them to come with you. Invite them to come and be a part in here. The other way is infiltrational. It's not always realistic to say, I I can't get this person to come with me, to be a part of anything, to come to a Bible study, to come to a Sunday school class, to come to worship. Well, you know, the great thing about Jesus is he goes everywhere with you. And so you can take Jesus to them. It's some simple ways to do this. You you may have a friend who's going through a really difficult time. And and you may know of a book that, that talks about Christian faith in the perspective of the struggle they're going through. Go buy them the book write in the front cover and deliver it to them. Tell them that this is something that helped me and I hope it helps you. You may have listened to a sermon online. You can, you can send them a link and say, hey, I listened to this when I was going through a hard time. It was helpful to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. There's also ways that not just investing and invite, but by, by, by giving people gifts and sharing with them in tangible, real ways the faith that you have. You'd be surprised how many people that you know don't even have a Bible. And so a conversation may go like this. You're you're listening to their stories and their struggles, and and you may may say something this simple. You know, I really don't know what to tell you or how to help you with that. I just know that in my life, uh, I have so often found comfort and truth in the Bible that has really got, do you have a Bible? And if they say no, go buy them one. Go buy them one and give it to them. I mean, there are so many ways that you, can, that you can impact and influence somebody by, by investing in them and inviting them to be a part. Physical barriers can be overcome. You should expect them. When, when you are sharing your faith or when you see that someone has a need, you should expect physical barriers to come up. The second one is theological barriers. Theological barriers. Sometimes this looks as simple as the question, as like this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? So many people... Uh, stay at arm's length from God because they, they feel like God is angry with them and punishing them. And they think, how, if God is so good and so loving, how can all these bad and terrible things be happening to me? Can, how can they be happening to the people around me? Look, look what it says in, in Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the, what is he? A paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, do you think that's why these four guys brought their friend to Jesus? I mean, can you just imagine that the friends may have been, for even just for a moment, slightly disappointed? I mean, we've gone to all this trouble. We were kind of thinking you'd heal him. I mean, we were kind of thinking that he'd get up and walk away. I mean, we've seen you do this in other places, Jesus. His sins are forgiven. That's great. But that's not why we brought him to you. We brought him to you because he's really, he's got a problem. It's pretty obvious to the rest of us, Jesus. Don't you see that this guy is paralyzed? But but notice something here. Man's deepest need is not for physical healing, but for spiritual wholeness. Jesus cared enough to meet the paralytic's deepest need. Even as he cares enough about you and the people that are in your circle of influence to meet their deepest need. See, no matter how bad the circumstances may be that we are going through, that your friend is going through, the single greatest gift we can offer anyone is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else flows out of that. And so so you can go to somebody and you say, well, 
I've got a friend who's struggling, uh, who's struggling with a, a broken marriage. I've got a friend who's struggling with an addiction. I've got a friend who's an alcoholic. And if, we can just, if they can just get their marriage fixed, then, they'll come, then they can come to faith in Christ. If they can just get over their addiction, then they can come to faith in Christ. It doesn't work that way. Because coming to faith in Christ is the power your friend needs to overcome the problem in their life. And so, so many times when they begin to talk to you about their theological questions and their theological problems, and we begin to feel ourselves closing up like, I don't know what to say. I don't know the answer to give. We need to help people understand their circumstances from a biblical perspective. And bad things happen to good people because sin is real in our world. And it's the consequence of sin in the world. And so, so it's not necessarily that this person did something bad and that equates to you're going to be paralyzed. It's the fact that we live in a broken and sinful world. And so there are children who are born with terrible diseases. There are natural, there are all these horrible things that happen. God, that was never God's plan. God's plan was to make all things new, to restore and renew and bring peace and hope. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And so we overcome our theological barriers by pointing people to the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we've got physical barriers. We've got theological barriers. There are also religious barriers. And this answers the question, well, what do I have to do? That people want to know, well, what do I have to do to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Paul made it pretty simple. But honestly, so many people think that it's got to be more complicated than that. It's got to be more complicated than simply confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart. There's got to be something else. And and religious people are the worst at making this the case, at trying to say, no, it's about your church attendance. It's about a list of do's and don'ts. Look look what happened to the religious people who were in in this encounter that Jesus had with the paralyzed man. Verse 6 and 7, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, they didn't even say it out loud, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? So the religious people are getting all hung up on some, on some religious technicalities going on here. They're, they're, they're parsing Jesus' words, always looking for a way to accuse him. Their, their attention is not on the paralyzed man and his needs. Do you know how I know that? Because the four friends had to dig through the roof to get, Jesus, to get the paralyzed man in Jesus' presence. Do you know what that tells me? That all the religious people were standing like this when the paralyzed man was walking up to the house. They had their backs to him. They never saw him. So many times, Christians, now if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you, and you can say amen to this, all right? So if you're not a Christian and you think this is true, you say amen, because because I think it's true. So many times, religious people are the obstacle for getting people to Jesus Christ. Because they, are, they have their backs turned on the people in need. And instead, they are focused on what they want to hear and what it may do for them. And it's ironic that the people who were the closest in proximity to Jesus understood what Jesus was saying the least. And I think that's true. I think so many times we get wrapped around issues that don't matter when we're ignoring paralyzed people who are trying to make their way to Jesus and we are the obstacle in their way. So, so, so the religious people were forming a barrier. They were blocking the way. The scribes and the Pharisees were expecting Jesus uh, to heal the man. That would have been a good trick. Jesus, just make the man walk. That's what everybody wanted. Jesus instead said, son, your, your sins are forgiven. 
And I just thought about that this week. And I thought, you know, how many times we all say, well, if I could just see a miracle. If Jesus would just do some miracle like he's done in the New Testament, uh, then I would be tempted to believe. Do you realize the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs is to forgive someone's sins? It's the most powerful thing Jesus did while he walked on this earth. It's the most powerful thing Jesus does today. It cost Jesus nothing to heal the paralyzed man. It cost Jesus his life to forgive his sins. The cost to Jesus to say your sins are forgiven was so much higher than the cost of just making the man get up and walk again. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that we ever witnessed Jesus perform. And it meets the greatest need that we have. And it costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. Healing people doesn't cost Jesus anything. And a healing is only temporary anyway. Because the paralyzed man eventually died. But the fact that Jesus said your sins are forgiven meant that he had the hope of eternity in the presence of God for all times. The greatest gift we can give someone is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what's a three-part solution to these obstacles? We've got physical barriers. We've got theological barriers. We've got religious barriers. What is the solution? The first thing I see in these four uh, guys, we don't even know their name. The first thing I see is perseverance. Perseverance. Look what it says in verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Do you know how easy it would have been to say, oh, well, crowd's too thick today. We, we can't get you to Jesus. So sorry. We'll try again. The next time he's in town, we'll try to catch up with him. We'll try to get you there earlier. Do you realize these people may have left their home the earliest in the morning to get to Jesus, but they were the last to arrive because they were carrying the burden of the paralyzed man. They were determined to get this person to Jesus. They were persevering in their faith, and they were willing to work together. They, were, they dared to do something different, and Jesus rewarded their efforts. Sometimes it just takes perseverance. Don't give up on the people around you. You may think that they're so far. You may think that you've tried so long and so hard. Don't give up on them. God specializes in difficult situations and he's, in, he's encouraging us to continue to pray, to continue to persevere. The second thing they had was courage. Verse 4, after digging through the roof, they lowered the paralyzed man on the mat. Do you know what a risk that was? I mean, what did the homeowner think about these guys digging through the roof? What would have happened if they had dropped the guy? I mean, just think of how hard it would have been to lower this man through the roof. They were, they were courageous See, there's always going to be risk involved when you share your faith. There's always going to be a personal risk when you open up and you tell your story about your life before Jesus and the difference Jesus made. There's always going to be a risk when you invite someone to church. There's always going to be a risk when you, when you attempt to, to take a Bible study into your place of, of business or into your neighborhood. But Christians have to have the courage to move to move and to, to be willing to, to switch from a defensive posture as Christians to, to, to an offensive posture. You know, Vince Lombardi once said, uh, the best defense is a good offense. You know, I think part of our problem as a church today uh, is that we're always trying to defend ourselves. 
that, that as Christians, we just, we look around at culture, we look around at society, and we hear all the people who, who say things about the Christian faith, or, or they say things about the Bible, and we feel like we've always got to just defend. That's not what Jesus said his church should be doing. Jesus said his church should be on the offense. Where do I get that? Well, you remember the story in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples he says, who do people say that I am? And so they answer the question. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the way to salvation. And, and Jesus' response to, to Peter is, is, is that this, on this rock, this claim, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, let me ask you, if you've got the church and you've got the gates of hell and there's a conflict, what is in motion? The gates? Or the church? Which one is mobile? Which one is mobile? The church, isn't it? Do gates move? Gates don't move. The church comes. It's the church that's on, it's on, the, church that's on the offense. Jesus says, don't sit back and wait. Instead, carry the message of hope and love and light straight into the dark places. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Don't be hidden under a barrel. Instead, let your light shine so that all may see. So, so we, we carry the message into the dark places. Are you willing to take the gospel into dark places? See, it's one thing to come here and tell our story. But we all agree pretty much, don't we? I mean, that's why we're gathered here for the most part. Is that we believe it and we agree in it. What's hard is when you go out of here. Back into the place of business, back into the areas where you shop, back into your neighborhood, back in, maybe even into your own home, into your own family members. I want you to think about the darkest, coldest, most difficult place you know and ask yourself this question. What is God inviting me to do? Where is God inviting me to go? What mountain is God inviting me to climb? See, if you're going to be on the offense with the message of the gospel, you're going to risk offending some people. But that's never our goal. The gospel is offensive all on its own. It doesn't need offensive people delivering it. Please hear me say that. The gospel doesn't need offensive people delivering it. The message itself can be offensive enough. So, so we, 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 we engage with people in thoughtful, loving, kind ways that shares the truth. Perseverance, courage, and faith. Look what, it says in, look what Jesus said in uh, Mark 2 verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith is he talking about? He's talking about the, the four guys. He's not talking about the faith of the paralyzed man. It didn't really require any faith for him to get there, but it required the faith of those fellows willing to take the risk and overcome the obstacles. God uses ordinary people with extraordinary faith to share his redemptive message. I think these guys had some characteristics that we all could learn from. First of all, I think they, they are deeply concerned about their friends and they want to see them get the help they need. Do you really care about the people around you? Really? I mean, I'm just not talking about passing concern, but do you, is there really somebody in your life that you look at their situation and you're deeply concerned for them? Do you care enough about them to see them get the help that they need? The second characteristic I think that these folks teach us is that, is that they have the faith to believe Jesus can and will meet the need. They have the faith to believe that Jesus not only can meet it, but that he will. They put their feet to prayers. They put their feet to their prayers. 
You think, well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. But when does your, when does your prayer become action? At some point, God is going to use your prayers not to change somebody else, but to change you. To encourage you, to invite you to be involved in making a difference. And they do not permit difficult circumstances to discourage them. I think these four guys, these are the characteristics that they have to teach us. We could learn so much from these four nameless characters in this story. And what's the result? Salvation through faith. Look look what happened. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw the faith of the four, it, it wasn't the paralyzed man, it was the faith of the people who dug through the roof. He was obviously, the paralyzed man was obviously hindered about getting to Jesus, but his friends were not. I, I, th- I thought of another story like this in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse, verses 5 through 13. Remember the centurion, this Roman soldier, came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my servant is sick and uh, he needs to be made well. And Jesus looked at the centurion and said, your faith has healed him. When you go home, you'll find your servant is fine. I, it got me to thinking, got me to thinking about this. What, what person do you know whose experience, whose salvation may depend on your faith because they don't have any of their own? Who do you know that's completely paralyzed, immobilized, and they may need your faith. They may need your act of courage. They may need your perseverance in order to see their life transformed through the power of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus' act of healing and forgiveness in this story was an act of pure grace. This man didn't even ask to be forgiven of his sins. He didn't even ask to be made to walk again. Jesus healed him and Jesus forgave his sins because that's what Jesus does. Do you have the faith to believe that's true? And does that faith translate into concern and a commitment on your part to go out and find that person who you know who's paralyzed and go the extra mile to bring them to the feet of the only one who can heal them? Beautiful feet overcome obstacles to take the gospel to where it's needed. This week, I want to encourage you to consider this, the answer to this question. What are the mountains that are in front of me? What are the obstacles that I have to overcome to share my faith, to share my story? What are they? Is it it fear? Is it fear of rejection, fear of ridicule? Is it a lack of knowledge? What is it on your part that is a mountain you need to overcome? And then the second thing we want to encourage you to do is to sign up and be a part of one of our home grow groups starting next week for four weeks as we just talk about simple, practical, helpful ways to share our story, our story of life change. If you believe Jesus has transformed your life and changed you, shouldn't you want to share that with other people? So we're going to share in these home grow groups some very practical and simple ways that you can share your faith with other people in our culture and our world today. I hope you'll be a part of that. But even more than being a part of that, I hope, I hope that it can be said of your feet, that it can be said of all of our feet at Southside Baptist Church, that they are beautiful because they will overcome obstacles to take the gospel to where it is most needed. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I I want to just acknowledge that I know this message is geared for those of us who are Christians and believers. And I know that 
anytime we gather for worship, there are those who are struggling uh, with a commitment to faith. Maybe you wouldn't define yourself as a Christian. Maybe you're here today for all kinds of various other reasons, and I I want you to know I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you heard this message because this person in the story that you may identify with may be the paralyzed man. And maybe your circumstances of life have you feeling hopeless and helpless. And, And I'm glad you got to hear what happened to him. Not because he was good enough, not because he tried hard enough, but simply because he had people who loved him enough to bring him to the only one who could truly make a difference in his life, and that's Jesus. And I hope that's who you've met with today. And my prayer is that he would heal you, forgive you of your sins, and that you would be forever changed because of your encounter with him. For the rest of us, my prayer for you is that you've been made a little uncomfortable today. That maybe as you've heard this story, the Lord has brought to your mind people who are all around you paralyzed by their circumstances and maybe like the religious people in the story you've stood with your back to them for far too long maybe it's time for you to turn around and like these four faithful servants go the extra mile to take your friend to the only one who can bring healing father as we come to you today we are so grateful that jesus doesn't just give us what we want but what we need and what we need is forgiveness What we need is a way to reconnect with God, to overcome the sin and the brokenness of our life. And we thank you that that is the greatest miracle Jesus ever performs. I'm so grateful that that's the miracle he's performed in my life. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we will be so committed to this message that we would climb any mountain, go any distance to see people share in the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, as we have our time of invitation today, I pray that you'll stir and move our hearts to respond to you in whatever way you lead. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.